Well, good morning, Clear Creek. So good to see you today. Have I told you lately how much I love you? It's just such a gift to be a part of this family. And seeing you every Sunday is a joy to myself and my family. Today we are in part two of this teaching series called The Seven Sayings from the Cross, where we're looking at those final seven things Christ said before giving our life and saving us from our sin. And we'll get into that here in just a moment. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. It's Luke 23. We'll be there in just a moment. Question for you. Have you ever been invited to a wedding? Can I see a show of hands? Okay, next question. Have you ever been invited to a wedding that was like a wedding? Anyone, like, it's going to be a shindig. Any of you even know what that word means? It's just going to be a big old deal. The biggest wedding I ever attended was about 17 years ago in Texas. As a preacher, I get invited to a lot of weddings. Some of them, got to be honest, I did. But this one, ooh, this one I wanted to be at. This was the daughter. She was a, uh, the bride was the daughter of an oil man in Texas. An oil man. Now in Texas, they got bigger hats, bigger hair, bigger land. And if you are an oil man, bigger bucks and belt buckles. Are you with me? And so he had planned this big thing for his little girl. And it was going to be the wedding to end all weddings. Over a thousand people were on the guest list. Two ballrooms had been reserved two different djs a full band there were not one not two but three ice sculptures and i'm not talking a little block i'm talking about an ice sculpture tim the tool man taylor would have been proud those who laugh are a little older than the rest of us right you get that reference good it was going to be a multi-course meal And there were flowers everywhere. Plus, here's the thing I'd never seen before. They had door privacies. And one of the prizes, I'm not making this up, was a flat screen TV. Did I mention this was 17 years ago when you couldn't get them at Walmart for $4? So I wanted to be there. And so I got my little invitation. I RSVP'd. I roll up to the door. Night of the event, I'm wearing what I have as my best. I get in the line to go in. I get up to the door. And there's a couple people there. Uh, dressed very stoically, they've got the clipboard. You know the clipboard, right? That's your ticket in or not. And Willy Wonka doesn't even have as good of a clipboard as these fellas. What's your name? Joshua Diggs. All right, well, look. They start to thumb through it. I'm excited, but then excitement turns into nervousness by the time they get to the fourth page, and they have yet to say, here you are. I start to worry, did they forget my name? Did they think it's Joshua Biggs, Griggs, Riggs? I've been called them all and some other things. And I, I thought, oh no, am I going to have to go back through the line, embarrassed with all these people? Am I going to miss out on the big party? But fortunately, as I'm about to have a mild panic attack, they say, oh, here you are. Come right on in. And it was amazing. Today, in the second statement from the cross, we are going to hear about the list. Not to some pedestrian wedding, but the list. And we're going to hear about a name that was on that list, but we don't actually have the name of the person. This story, this moment, this statement happens in Luke chapter 23. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word this morning? 
The text begins this way. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, talking about Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Well, if you are, save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you and I are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered the second statement. Today I tell you the truth. You will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray together. Father, just as the thief on the cross was in desperate need for help, we are in desperate need for your help. The reality is some of us just don't know it yet. So, Father, I pray that you will meet us in the word before us, that your spirit would go before me, that you would prepare the hearts, not for my words, but for the text, that you would speak to us, teach us. And I pray that not one person here today would leave without knowing that their name is on the list and the good news of your assurance. We ask this in Jesus' name and all those who agreed said... Amen. You may be seated. All right, two thieves. Truth is, we don't know almost anything about these two men other than they're thieves. Now, in the NIV, the text version we just read, it calls them criminals. And the reason is, is because the word translated thief or criminal is a junk drawer term used to describe myriad or many different types of crimes. In fact, the Greek word used for this is... Uh, literally just means evildoers. So we don't know exactly what they did, but they did something bad. Something beyond just the typical pedestrian level because they're being crucified in this moment. Scholars typically agree that these two criminals are in some way connected with the rebellion that Barabbas had tried against the Romans. You remember Barabbas. In the previous few verses, The people are given the choice to release Jesus or Barabbas from crucifixion, and they choose Barabbas. He goes free. Christ Jesus is on the cross. And so we think the execution of these two men is somehow related to Barabbas as well. We don't know a lot other than for they were criminals. They were evildoers. They were rebels. They were lawbreakers. And they had done something so bad that the capital offense of crucifixion was applied to them. Crucifixion, as we've said before, was not for just anyone. It was for the worst of the worst. And it was Rome's way of saying, if you step out of line, we will step on you. And so we have these two men where we don't know a lot about them. In fact, we don't even know their names. All we do know is... And all we have is this one conversation on the cross. Now the first one, the first criminal, begins to insult Jesus. He begins to taunt Jesus. Now perhaps he heard the taunts and the jeers of the crowd and he thought, sounds good, I'll jump in on this action. So you're the Messiah, huh? Well, if you are the Messiah, then come off that cross. Oh, and by the way, take us with you. It's as if he's saying, if you really are who you say you are, save yourself, and then as the cherry on the top of this little magic trick, get me and my buddy off as well. Now, quick question. Have you ever taunted God? 
If I were to sit down with you, the reality is I think most of us, if we're honest, would say, yes, absolutely, we have. It looks different in different circumstances, but we have all from one time or another taunted him. Perhaps like this criminal, you have been in a situation where you were so hurt, you felt such deep pain because of the circumstance or what someone did or what you did that you just want to know God is there. And so you're willing to insult God, to taunt God. If you're really there, come on and show me. Prove it. Or maybe like others of us, it's not that you taunt God in that overt way. You simply taunt Him by continuing to sin in defiance of His Word. Well, you know, I will do this and then I will repent. After all, it's just one thing. He'll let me off. No big deal. As though God is some senile grandpa who winks at you and says, boys will be boys. What I want you to know this morning is that God is not manipulated by the taunts of people. God does not respond to our manipulation. But good news, God always responds to the cry for mercy. And you get that from the second criminal. In fact, the second criminal began very similar to the first. Other Gospels tell us that this second criminal also was hurling insults at Jesus at the beginning. Now, we don't know what changed or when he stopped. Was it when he heard Jesus pray and make that first statement to God, asking God to forgive all of the people because they didn't know what they were doing? These two criminals, jeering as well, Christ praise for them? Was it in that moment where he realized something is different about this man and so he stops and something changes? He realizes this man's the real deal. And instead he looks to Jesus and he says those words, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus responds with the words that many of us memorized as children. Today you will be with me in paradise. These words are words that we have heard so many times, but we have a lot of questions. In fact, we have flipped out over this verse, haven't we? It gives us so many questions. Like, what does Jesus mean by this word or this statement or this idea? For instance, take this first word, today. What Does Jesus mean by today? Does he mean you will be with me in a literal 24-hour period from today? And if so, was it before midnight? Was that the end of today? Or was it the end of 6 p.m.? Because they're Jewish, and the Jewish calendar, the days ended at 6. When does day begin? Is it a 24-hour period? What's going on, Jesus? Now, here's a little hint. When you run into a passage, and you get to a word that you don't know, As a Bible student, and you're all Bible students, here's what you do is you look for where that verse or that word rather is used elsewhere in a similar context. And here's the good news. The word today is used many other times in similar contexts. So for instance, Luke chapter four, Jesus goes into the synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown. He has handed the scroll that was to be read for the day. He opens to that day's reading, reads it closes the scroll, hands it back to the attendant, and says to the people, Today, same word, today, this prophecy that I've just read, this prophecy from centuries ago, today it has been fulfilled in your hearing. Another example, Luke chapter 19, we read about this man named Zacchaeus. Quick question, 
How many of you remember the flannel board Zacchaeus from growing up? Anyone? Yeah, okay. And what do we know about Zacchaeus? What did he climb, church? A sycamore tree. To do what? To see what he could see. You guys are much better at this than the 930, by the way. Yeah, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. He climbed a sycamore tree to see what he could see. And on this particular day in Luke 19... He doesn't just see Jesus, but Jesus sees him. And he calls Zacchaeus. He invites Zacchaeus. He says, I'm going to come to your house, meaning I'm going to become your friend. And Zacchaeus is so moved by the presence and love of God through Jesus Christ that he says, I will give back whatever I have taken, not just the amount, but multiplied many times over. And Jesus says these words, today, same word, salvation has come to this house. One more example, Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a story of a rich man who had so much stuff, he didn't know what to do with it all. That's why God gives us garages. And when we run out of space there, storage facilities. Don't raise your hands. And this man, because of all this stuff, says, I've got so much, I will tear down my small barns, build bigger barns, so I have room for my stuff, and then I will say to myself, soul, take it easy and enjoy life. And God replies, tonight, same idea, tonight, your soul will be demanded from you. What do these have in common? The idea is that the word today does not refer to a 24-hour period. It refers to a specific moment when everything changes. Today is... When the mundane becomes miraculous, it's when the past is no longer dictating our present, but the future kingdom of God has broken in and is changing everything. Today was just a day like every other day. We went to synagogue and heard the scriptures read, but something happened today. This promise that we'd been waiting for, God's future broke into this moment and today is different because of what Christ has done. Today, I was going about my business collecting riches for myself, abusing my fellow Jewish friends and family, but today, Jesus met me and now I no longer operate out of the old ways of thinking, the old ways of living. They no longer have control over who and what I am. I am living in the present reality of God's kingdom right now. Today is the moment when Christ meets you and everything changes. Today, this is what he is talking about. And then he says this other little word that so many of us want to really kind of unpack. He says paradise. I don't know about you, but I have a lot of questions about paradise, don't you? First question, Jesus, is paradise the same thing as heaven or is it a different place? Almost like a divine waiting room, you know, where they've got the music playing when you're waiting to go see the doctor. Is that what this is like? Or is it heaven? And if it is, what's it going to be like? When will we get there? What will there be to do when we get there? And so we hear these little descriptions, although Scripture gives us very few, but we hear things like streets of gold. And if you were like me as a kid, I thought, yes, I'm going to take my chisel, I'm going to take a hammer, and I'm finally going to be able to afford all the toys I can't get now. Cha-ching. Jasper Walls. 
Gates made out of giant pearls. It's going to be amazing. But the truth is, so many of us have become so worldly in our thinking, so earthbound in our understanding, that we think heaven is just a little bigger house than the one we have now. It is more than that. You say, how do we know? We miss the most important words. We focus on now. We focus on paradise. But the most important words in the entire statement are in the middle. With me. Today, you will be with me in paradise. With me. It is not that we are simply in heaven, but that we are with God in heaven. He is with me. He is with you. In fact, this is how the new Jerusalem is described in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, the last book of our Bible that reveals what will come in the end. How is the new Jerusalem, the new heaven and earth presented and introduced? And God will be there with them and he will be their God and they will be his People, God will be with us. The circumstances don't matter. It is that he is with us that matters. Another show of hands. How many of you remember another flannel board golden oldie? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Anyone? Where were they thrown, church? Into the fiery furnace. And the king grabs one of attendants and says, Hey, How many did we put in there? Three, your king. Yeah, so why do I see four in the furnace and one of them looks like the Son of God? Friends, it isn't the fire that matters. It is the absence of God that is unbearable. And when he is with you, it doesn't matter what you're going through. You will be able to get through it because he is with me this is the title christ himself uses and is given at his birth do you remember the angel comes to mary and joseph he says you will name him jesus and he will be called emmanuel which means god with us at his birth christ is with us and now on the cross in the worst moment of this thief's life. He is with him and he promises to stay with him for all eternity from your birth to the worst moment of your life throughout eternity. The promise of this second word is God with you. When the doctor said there was nothing more they could do, God was with you, friend. When you went home and you saw his half of the closet empty, and you knew he wasn't coming back, God was with you. Child, when your parent walked out never to come home again, you need to know your daddy, God, was still with you. When your child said that thing that made you so mad and broke your heart at the same time and you didn't know what to do, God was with you. When your friends betrayed you, when they would smile to your face, yet stab you in your back, God was with you. And friend, when you betrayed yourself, went back to that thing you had said, I will never do again. Good news. God was with you then too. Don't you think... That if God would climb up on the cross to be with a thief in his worst moment, 
Don't you think God will be with you in your worst moments, friends? And there is nothing, Scripture says, that can separate you from the love of Christ, that, or the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Remember me when, I come, when you come into your kingdom, Jesus. Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This church is salvation. This is the definition of what we talk about every week. Often we have such a small view of what it means to be saved. We assume it simply means spiritual fire insurance. Get dunked so if you are scared of hell, you won't go there. Friends, it's far more than that. It is the promise that in this very moment you can have relationship with God. You can be with Him, not just for now, but forever. This is the picture of the gospel. This is salvation. And in fact, in this one sentence, there are four things that we learn about salvation. We're going to do this very quickly, but jot these down. I want you this morning to know exactly what you've been given in Christ. The salvation you've received. And if you're not in Christ, please hear me. I don't want you to leave today not knowing if you're on the list. There are four things we know about salvation. Number one, we know that it is certain. Jesus says, truly, I tell you, honestly, I tell you, I promise you, he has given you your guarantee signed in his own blood, church. And unlike the American dollar that devalues over time, your certainty in the saving power of Jesus does not diminish with time. It is certain if you have been in Christ, you are still in Christ. If you have given your life to Jesus, you are with Jesus. You say, but Josh, I still do bad things. Guess what? Welcome to the party. We all do. We are not saved because of what we do. We are saved because of what Jesus did on the cross. It is certain. I need to speak to my worrying brothers and sisters for a moment. Stop worrying, wondering, and doubting your salvation. Jesus says, I have saved you. Trust me. You are saved if you are in Jesus Christ. It is certain. Number two, it is immediate today. Jesus Christ does not put you on a 24, 48, or 72 hour hold before you can access the goodness of his salvation. How many of you, if you're comfortable, how many of you have had to put money into an account and before you can withdraw it, you have to wait a little time to get it? Anyone else or is it just your poor preacher? God doesn't do that. He doesn't put you in spiritual timeout just to make sure that you're sincere before he truly saves you either. It's immediate. At the very moment you give your life to Christ in baptism, you are saved. Truly, I tell you, today, it is certain, it's immediate, and it is a relationship. Number three, it is a relationship. You will be with me. Salvation is not an impersonal transaction with some powerful being. It is an intimate, personal relationship with the God who came to you. The gospel, the good news, is not that you got to God, but that God, through Jesus Christ, came to you. You are in Christ today with Him. What makes heaven heaven is the presence of Jesus. That's why it will be so good. 
I've told you all before, last fall, my dad and I went on a brief one-day trip up to his home stomping ground in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Roy, Ramsey, are you here this morning? Yeah, right back here. Roy, man, we had a blast. We saw where his school used to be. It's not there anymore. We ate a couple slices of greasy but delicious Big Ed's pizza. By the way, anyone else been to Big Ed's in Oak Ridge? Let's see some hands. Okay, we're going to do, now the other hand, go ahead. Now this hand again. We got to work that off, okay? So just keep going, okay? And then when we were done with that, we went to my grandmother's house where my daddy grew up. And we went around the house. Yeah, we were peeping toms. We were looking in the windows. Don't worry, we asked permission of the homeowners. We saw the burgundy wood porch in the back where she would stand and wave as we'd come home to see her. Or she'd stand and wave as we left. And I got to tell you, it was bittersweet because although it was the same house, without my grandmother there, it wasn't the same home. Friends, people will say, is heaven going to be great? And the answer is, it depends. Do you like to be with Jesus? Yeah? Then it'll be amazing. Because salvation is a relationship. And number four, it is a place forever. You will be with me in paradise forever. Not for a few days, not for a few months. It will not come to an end. And I love that picture in the book of Revelation where it describes our new home, where there will be no more tears. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more pain. There will never be another miscommunication with you and your spouse. There will never be another divorce. There will never be another death or a loss of a child or a friend or a family member. Cancer will no longer rule. Heart attacks will not happen. Heartbreak cannot happen. We will be with Him together forever in a perfect place. This is salvation. Is anyone else grateful for it? And this is the gift that Christ gives to this man on the cross and he wants to give it to you and to me now listen to me this is not a completely happy ending because the truth is some of you in this room do not have this relationship with Jesus being in a church building does not mean that you want to be in relationship with Jesus And there's some of us in here who are cynical enough to think, well, maybe I can live my life any way I like. I can do whatever I want, but on my deathbed, I will simply squeak in under the wire and I'll be okay. Friend, you're not promised that you'll have that time. But the good news of this promised passage is that Jesus Christ wants this day to be your today. When everything changes, where you don't operate out of the past, but you experience the future promise of Christ right now. And so here's the question. Have you received Jesus' salvation? Have you said yes to Him and put Him on in baptism? Have you given your life to Christ? If that is you, then for you, my friend, celebrate your salvation. You say, but Josh, there are things I'm doing, things I'm saying, things I'm thinking that I shouldn't. Then repent. Tell your Father He loves you. Tell a friend so you are encouraged to change and move forward. But do not continue to doubt. 
to wonder or worry about your salvation. For today, the past is gone. You operate out of the coming kingdom. You are with Christ for now through eternity. And if you're not, then like the crowd asked that one day in Pentecost, this is what must we do to be saved? The apostle Peter said, it's very simple, repent. Meaning confess to God what you've done wrong in agreement. I know, I know what I've done and I agree with you. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sin and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, God with you forever. Jesus Christ climbed up onto that cross so that you could be with him forever. And that forever can begin today. Would you bow your heads with me? Some of us just need to know this morning that what Christ did those years ago still matters and still works no matter what else has happened. You need to know that if you are in Christ Jesus... You have the gift of His grace forever. Just repent and receive it anew over and over. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, that can change this morning. We have time and we would love to talk with you. Don't leave here today wondering if you are with Jesus. We're going to sing a song in a moment. And when we do, I and some others will be in the lobby. We'd love to help you take your next step so you have confidence. Father, with every eye closed but every heart open, we now come to you confessing where we are. We celebrate the promise of your second statement that today can be the day where everything changes. That the old does not have control over our today because you have broken in with their tomorrow. Lord, for anyone who needs to say yes to you and follow you and put you on in baptism, I pray that they will find us now, that they will make that next step so they can have the assurance that they are with you forever. And for all my brothers and sisters who are already in your family, may they enjoy their salvation. May they not worry and wonder. May they remember that the thief had no opportunity to make himself better before Jesus saved him. And they don't have to make themselves better first. You made the first move. We thank you for today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.